Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Michael, have you got a minute? It all went down, down under. But it was a stroll in the park for the Prince of Monaco. It's all very well the FIA making it easier to overtake Ferrari. You're going to have to catch them first. And it's lights out and away we go. Decent start from Charles Leclerc. And he gets ahead then of Max Verstappen with Sergio Perez coming at his teammate. There's Lewis Hamilton and George Russell down the inside. That is Carlos Sainz who looks like he's beached that Ferrari in the gravel on the exit of Turn 10. Oh, and going off Sebastian Vettel, who's only had 26 laps uh, around Albert Park this weekend. Charles Leclerc, now we're going green, did not get away well, and Max Verstappen is right on his tail, and they're going to go wheel to wheel. George Russell got into the dirt a bit there. Sergio Perez thought he might go around the outside into turn nine. Now we've got the run down towards turn 11 and Perez much closer than he has been before. Russell's looking in his mirrors, sees where Perez is. Perez, well, he doesn't need to look at his mirrors now. Uh, Sergio Perez has got past. Max Verstappen has pulled over to the side of the track. Okay, Max, stop the car, please. Charles Leclerc keeping up Ferrari's happy hunting ground in Australia. His three previous career wins have come from pole. Make that four career wins from pole position as Charles Leclerc takes the fastest lap of the race and wins the Australian Grand Prix. Hello, I'm Shannon Mabry, your host of the Race Directors podcast, and I'm joined by the soon-to-be blue flag backmarkers, F1 journalist Ed Spencer, and this week our very own Nico Hulkenberg, Joe Spagnoli, who is sitting in this week for Unpaid Intern, who sadly has some unpaid interning to do. He will be rejoining us very soon. So, chaps, hello, how's everyone doing this week? How are we feeling after Australia? Uh, still sleep-deprived, still... Not exactly looking forward to drinking maybe one or two big cans of Rockstar, but yeah, I thought it was a fairly decent return to Australia. Not the greatest race I'll be watching at 4am with a bucket of popcorn and F1 TV, but yeah, I thought it was fairly decent. Although, the safety car's got to be a little bit quicker. The, the green turtle. About it. We could have had the most incredible classic race in history, and I would still be moaning about the sleep deprivation. Two all-nighters in a row, really not worth it. 
whole day was uncomfortable, but we got a good Australian Grand Prix out of it. More than 30 overtakes for the first time in, what, 10 years? Fantastic. It was really nice to see, honestly. I mean, the V8 supercars were good too. I will admit that I did watch most of the Grand Prix on my phone in bed. I couldn't quite drag myself down to the living room to watch it. It was pretty, pretty painful. And I certainly didn't watch uh, FP1 or FP3 with that 4am start time. But there we go. What do we think? What are our main takeaways from the race itself? Because obviously that's the most important thing, not how tired we were. But how did it go? What do we think? Ferrari looked quick. Well, Ferrari looked like they have the best car, the best engine, the best driver at the moment. Red Bull have maybe a slightly faster car, but it's definitely one of the most unreliable. Mercedes still look like they have a number of issues. Alpine have finally come out the gate. They show some good pace, but unfortunately, a small little part worth pound fifty costs Alonso his dream return to the Albert Park podium. McLaren look promising, finally, that their season has started. The homeboy gets a good result. Aston Martin, oh dear. Oh dear indeed. The weekend from hell for Lawrence Stroll. And just a quick shout out, Williams. We say this about McLaren. Um, Lando Norris himself, I believe, said that this was very much just an Australia thing, that the car performs well on that type of track and not to expect it anymore. So clearly he's feeling very optimistic about the future. But I couldn't agree more about Aston Martin. That car is a big green tractor. And it's not looking too peachy for them right now at all. Um, And I was pretty devastated for Fernando Alonso, to be honest. I know unpaid intern was also very devastated for Fernando Alonso. That could have been an absolute corker for him, especially in what we think maybe could be his last year. Pure speculation. But, you know, a lot of people are saying that it could be his last year, along with Sebastian Vettel. You know, going through all the teams this weekend, it is kind of crazy to think that the only team unlikely to be kicking themselves at a missed opportunity are Mercedes, considering after the first, second practice sessions, they were sitting 11th and 13th. But then you finish the weekend, Ferrari have a car in the gravel before the end of lap two, Red Bull lose another guaranteed second through retirement, Alpine have one lap pace but disappear when the race comes around and Esteban Ocon can't even get past a used tyre Alexander Albon. Aston Martin look terrible. You just run down the grid. Mercedes are the only ones who can come out of this thinking, yeah, that went pretty well for us. Third and fourth with what was realistically the fourth fastest car that weekend. Just a little bit of consistency, I guess, has really paid off for them. And I guess being happy where they are and not trying to push too hard and then buggering it up like some of the other teams have did feel really bad for Carlos Sainz. He had an absolute I don't even want to say the word, a terrible week, honestly, felt really, really bad. Not so much of a smooth operator in Australia, sadly. It was mm, it was an interesting race. I think Science's weekend for I was arguably one of his, well, it was, one, it was definitely one of his worst in Formula One. I think the qualifying was poor, albeit he got unlucky with the yellow flags. The start was abysmal, you know, Dan, you know, way out the points, going to school by Schumacher around the outside and then just got way too optimistic going to to turn 10 and just went over the grass too fast and yeah, popped in the gravel. And already the pe- many of the Italian journalists are saying that he's the number two driver at Ferrari, which is hardly good for anyone's confidence because we know that that number two role at Ferrari, it's so difficult to pull yourself back into the number one start- status and... 
you know, if Carlos gets in that rut, then it could be tricky for him to win maybe one or two races this year. And I think for a guy of his talent, he should be fighting Leclerc for number one, but Leclerc has come out of the gate picture for him. That's a good point to bounce off of, actually. If we're going to agree, and I think we will, that this is Carlos Sainz's worst weekend for Ferrari by a mile, when was the last time he had a weekend that was worse than this in Formula One? Because looking back at the two years at McLaren, I can't think of one. Like This is his uh, an historically bad weekend for Carlos Sainz, when realistically he wasn't actually the worst driver on the grid by a mile this weekend. No, and I think he's desperately trying to prove himself this year against Charles because he has come out on an absolute flyer and it's just made it even harder for him now having a weekend like that. I think he's desperate to kind of even the score a bit between the two of them. It can't be easy, you know, when your teammates having a year like Charles is having right now, it's unbelievably good. So yeah, I can imagine that is super difficult for him to take right now. But what about... Alex Albon's strategy of not pitting for the entire race until the last lap. I was so certain that they were just going to send him over the chequered flag with the same set of tyres on. I really thought that they were just going to let it go, but they just pulled him in at the last second and he still managed to scrape a point. In that Williams, I was flabbergasted, to be quite honest with you. I don't know what his strategists were thinking. Maybe they had too many energy drinks or something else, but... They were on one and somehow it paid off. Agony to ecstasy. You know, Saturday, Albon didn't look close to getting into the points. Disqualified from qualifying, nowhere. Grid penalty, the lot. It was a bit of a disaster. But Williams decided, you know what, let's throw a Hail Mary here. And it it, it, it worked. It worked a tree. I did, I did from my television set think, surely they're going to stop at some point. You know, I, we've all played the Formula One game and we've realised when we tried not to pit, we usually get a big fat DSQ at the end of the race. So I thought, okay, okay, let's see what happens. And then just the last lap, bing, he was in. And what what you even more what was even more crazy about it was the fact there was people literally leaving like the VIP areas, walking down the pits. You know, you've got to think how dangerous that is considering you're still in running shoes or in oh god, uh, a Formula One car coming right out a bunch of people who are not exactly any sort of pit gear. So Kudos to Williams. They did a fantastic job. And kudos to Alex Albon, who needed this result so badly after coming back to Formula 1. Many people wondering how he'd stack up against Nicholas Latifi. Well, if you look at the results, he's done a blinder. And I think Latifi is going to be a little bit more worried now, knowing that Albon is off the mark and he still isn't after what was a fairly torrid weekend. He should be worried. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I think looking back at Albon's weekend, it's not really the endurance of on, and going 57 laps on that one tyre that impresses me the most, because bear in mind, the car was taken out of qualifying. I think at that point, they if it was disqualified and left Park Ferme, they can make setup changes that would, in theory, make the car better on tyres than a regular race setup would have been. So it's perfectly feasible when you incorporate a few laps under safety car that that, that, that car could go that distance on the C2s. That, however, does not explain how the amount the amount of time he was running seventh with Esteban Ocon within DRS range, Ocon could not get past. The Williams, we already know, it's ninth on a good weekend, and this certainly was a good weekend for them, versus an Alpine, which we thought was probably third pushing second fastest this weekend. Ocon could not get past, even with four DRS zones around this track. People are talking a lot about Albon's tyre conservation, conservatism behind the wheel. Realistically, it was his defensive driving that, well, cost Alpine dear and may well have been critical in getting Williams what could well be their only point for quite a long time. Well, I think they're going to need to keep doing these unusual strategy moves and taking these risks and hoping that at least some of them pay off, to be honest. And I guess they have the freedom to do that now. I don't think we've talked about Haas yet. And perhaps that's because we didn't see Kevin Magnussen fighting for a podium this week. But they were a little bit invisible, I feel, this weekend. It was not so great for them, but apparently a bit of an outlier. They should be back to form next week. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, the only thing K-Mag was fighting at the moment was a trip to the toilet. Uh, I think it was a pretty disappointing. Sorry, I had to go there. Kevin, if you're listening, no hard feelings. Um, but yeah, Haas just had a bit of an off weekend, as did Alfa Romeo. It's, it, it's nothing to worry about. I feel, you know, there had to be a come down at some point. I just don't think their car was, was quick enough. And uh, Schumacher and Magnussen couldn't really compete for the top 10. But I don't think there's reason for, you know, alarm bells to be going off. I think they'll be back in back in back in the point in no time now ladies and gents it is time for me to take you to my favorite place and that is gossip grid welcome to gossip grid the part of the podcast where i impart unto you dear listeners the latest whispers flying around the paddock this first piece of gossip is one that quite frankly you'd have to be living under a rock not to have heard about but it warrants discussion nonetheless And that is the whispers, or should I say yells at this point, of Audi and Porsche joining the Formula One grid. Supposedly, an announcement is imminent and a proposal is already on the table, with the teams being linked to Red Bull and McLaren respectively, 
although the prospect of either joining the grid in their own right is apparently also not off the table. All of this while Andretti still reportedly has not received an answer from the FIA on their petition for F1 entry. Could we see a 13-team grid in coming years? Will the FIA turn down all of these prospective teams? Or could we see some interesting collaborations in the coming years? Time will tell. But it doesn't end there. I have another scrap of gossip for you, and it's one I'm sure a lot of you will be very glad to hear. I'm hearing that the prospect of Formula One returning to the Kyalami circuit in South Africa for the first time since 1993 is becoming ever more certain. Though likely not before 2024, it's certainly something that fans have been pushing for and is likely a big priority for Liberty Media. The only remaining hurdle, and it's by no means a small one, is returning the circuit to its grade one status. Domenicali has already told us that it's something he'd like to see in the future. Could Kyle Army fans' dreams be about to come true? I certainly hope so. That's all the gossip I have for you this week, everyone. But rest assured, my ears are always open. Have fun with that one. So we've taken a walk through the paddock that is Gossip Grid. Gents, what are your thoughts on my little scraps of gossip this week? Although I've heard there is much more going on behind the scenes of the fact that they might be coming back. Automunda Sports has reported that. And also there are three more teams in the pipeline. Monaco team. Uh, potentially an F2 aligned team and also a non-disclaimer team, plus Pantherera, uh, which might be coming back. But yes, it's good to hear that South Africa might be coming back. Uh, it's been much needed. Formula One isn't really a world championship about a race on the, in Africa. And it seems now we're finally getting one. And I'm happy for the African fans that they get a race. Although, which one will, which race will be, be kicked out for South Africa? I don't know. Rumours I hear is that the French Grand Prix at Paul Ricard. Not the eyesore that is Paul Ricard. Heaven forbid. How dare you? The tricolour colouring of Paul Ricard is a unique beauty upon the eye. It's br- you know what? The return of ground effect cars, return of Kyle Army, and potentially 14, 15 teams on the grid between what you two have just described. We're going back to the 1980s and pre-qualifying may become a necessity again. So... It's, I mean, I guess it's nice to see Liberty taking some cues from the past. However, the, like the, the, you know, I think it's critical at this point that we need to be trying to find new teams anyway. Probably more important than new tracks based on the idea that I think it was Ross Braun said you only need 10 healthy teams in Formula One. Well, post-pandemic, we do not have 10 healthy teams. Haas and Williams are always looking a little bit precarious. So the move to secure more teams for the grid should be a semi-permanent one. Just don't do it the way you did 10 years ago because none of those teams lasted more than six years, I believe. Quality over quantity. Two of them didn't get started, strictly speaking. Well, I think it's going to... It's going to be a time for history nerds to rejoice from the sounds of it, Joe. The Bring Back V10s crowd will be overjoyed by all of these potential changes to the F1 grid. So we've had three races so far in 2022, but in an effort to learn a little bit more about the history of F1, we are going to go back in time again with our Ed Spencer. Italy, Imola, the opening round of the European section of the 1982 World Championship. The 1982 San Marino Grand Prix was set to be a race of celebration for Formula One. But the championship, which had already suffered one political headache when the drivers went on strike just days before practice was due to begin in South Africa, suffered another one in the days heading into Imola. 
after the Foker teams led by Bernie Eccleston pulled out of the race in protest of both Nelson Piquet and Keki Rosberg being disqualified from the Brazilian Grand Prix because of the teams using water-cooled brakes. But not all the Foker teams pulled out, as Tyrrell, Osella, ATS and Tolman broke ranks to race alongside the three FISA teams Renault, Ferrari and Alfa Romeo, meaning that the red-clad Fosi would now only have to worry about the two Renaults in front of their two beloved Ferraris. Whilst reduced field meant that Tolman, ATS and Osella wouldn't have to worry about qualifying for the race. Qualifying had seen Renault and Arnoux put his Renault on pole position with teammate Alain Prost alongside him on the front row. To the delight of the uh, crowd, there on the second row, the two Ferraris, Gilles Villeneuve slightly faster than his teammate Didier Peroni. Michele Alboreto was the best of the Foca runners in fifth head of Bruno Giacomelli, whilst Teo Fabi and Riccardo Paletti would make their Grand Prix debuts after failing to qualify for the first three races. Derek Warwick's race ended before lights out, after his Tolman suffered electrical gremlins on the way to the grid. And at the green light, Arnoux roared away from Prost and Villeneuve as they ran through Tamborelli for the first time. With Villeneuve making mincemeat of Prost going into the Piratella to take second spot, with Peroni following suit on the run down to Toza. Further back, Brian Henton joined Warwick in taking an early bath after suffering a transmission failure when leaving the grid. Next to go out was Andre Di Cesaris with electrical issues, followed by Prost two laps later with an engine failure, whilst Paletti's Ocella suffered a suspension problem, meaning that the field was reduced to nine by lap eight. Away from the frantic action in the pits, Villeneuve closed in on Arnoux, whilst Giacomelli ended Alfa Romeo's day on a damp squib with an engine failure on lap 22, reducing the field to eight. On lap 26, Villeneuve's perseverance paid off. And he does it! A superb manoeuvre by Villeneuve. That was absolutely copybook. And he breezed past Arnoux for the lead into Piratella, much to the euphoria of the raucous Tifosi. But just as he settled into the lead, Arnoux fought back and repassed the Canadian into Toza, with Villeneuve also attacking as a teammate eventually moving to second as he set off after Arnoux, who was now stuck in traffic. Villeneuve gave Peroni a taste of his own medicine some laps later into Toza, going around the outside of the Frenchman moving back into second, which then became the race lead when Arnoux's Renault engine cried enough, forcing the Frenchman to retire and giving Ferrari a dream 1-2 on home soil. Peroni then retook the lead after Villeneuve went too hot into Rivazza. And Peroni's done it again! Peroni has gone ahead! Didier Peroni back in front. This is uh, lap 53 now, and he's back in front. And I think we can probably forget about team tactics. I think the drivers want to forget about pit signals. They want to have a measurements. With 1-2 still at risk, the Ferrari team ordered the pair to slow down with seven laps to go. But the memo didn't reach Peroni, who thought he was still free to race. There, Gilles slow, Diddy slow. They are both having pit signals telling them to slow up. And the pair continued to duel for the win, lap after lap. On lap 59, Villeneuve finally repassed Peroni for the race lead. That seemed to be it. Until Peroni slingshot past Villeneuve for the race lead on the last lap, infuriating the Canadian. They're coming up to the finish line now, and Villeneuve is behind. Villeneuve has lost the race. Didier Peroni has won it. 
the winner, therefore, in an extraordinary battle between two teammates, Didier Peroni, right hand held aloft in a victory salute. Peroni just clung on to a controversial victory ahead of a disgusted Villeneuve, with Alberetto third and the best of the Foca runners. Jean-Pierre Jarry and Lesio Salazar picked up points with fourth and fifth, whilst Manfred Wieckerhock failed to get sixth after his car was disqualified for being underweight. And Gilles Villeneuve has opted not to go round on the Jeep at the end of the race. And I think he's probably gone back to the Ferrari pit for some stern words. And as the crowd walk away from the San Marino Grand Prix, they must be indeed very happy to have seen a wonderful race put on by their favourite team, the prancing horse of Ferrari. Villeneuve promised never to speak to Peroni ever again in the wake of the events of Imola. And sadly, he never did as he was killed in a horrific crash qualifying for the Belgian Grand Prix after hitting the back of Joachim Mass's mutt and sending him catapulting through the air. Two months later after Villeneuve, Peroni too would suffer a career-ending accident in Hockenheim after hitting Prost during a wet qualifying session, breaking the Frenchman's legs and meaning that he would never race in Formula 1 again. The corner which Peroni repassed Villeneuve was renamed in the Canadian's honour. However, sadly, it would see its own scene of tragedy as Roland Ratzenberger would hit the unprotected concrete barrier during qualifying for the 1994 San Marino Grand Prix, killing the Austrian instantly. The events of Imola live long in the annals of 80s Formula 1. It would prove to be the start of what would turn out to be a very controversial season, and also the one championship that Ferrari lost for its own mistakes. That's when the river beside the Imola circuit turned into the rivers of blood, with the Ferrari drivers turning into mortal enemies from that day, and sadly it ended in, in great tragedy at that day at Zolder in 1982 in May. We really do forget sometimes, I think, just how much more dangerous F1 used to be than it is today. And when I hear you talk about these old races, Ed, it really brings it home. But thank you for another amazing rundown. I always learn a lot whenever I talk to you, our resident boomer in the group. I've got a little bit of a news item that I wanted to talk to you guys about for our news of the week. And this is the news that F1 or FEFIA would like the drivers to please stop wearing jewellery and their own underpants when they're racing. And Lewis Hamilton's vow that he will not be taking off any of his jewellery. What are our thoughts about this? Because it does seem like Lewis is probably one of the only drivers who's wearing facial jewellery, I believe. Perhaps some of the others are wearing other jewellery. I know Roman Grosjean was wearing his wedding ring when he was in his very, very nasty crash, but it seemed okay. What are your thoughts? I just have to jump in quickly. Storm in a teacup, if I'm being honest. Sorry, I just have to jump in quickly. Their own underpants. What's the rationale behind that? I've not heard of this. They're not allowed to wear their own underpants. Why? They're not allowed to wear their own underpants underneath the fireproof underpants that they are given because it could be dangerous if they catch fire, because presumably their Tommy Hilfigers or their Calvin Kleins aren't fire retardants. Okay, so I don't like mocking safety. I don't know who's going to check this. I don't like mocking safety in Formula 1, so they're worried about pants that are located beneath fire-resistant pants catching fire. So we've already established fire cannot... Fire cannot traverse this pant barrier, and they are concerned about what lies beyond this pant barrier catching fire, even though it's impossible for it to do so. I think I'm getting a little hung up on the Presumably they're only fire retardant for a certain period of time. 
I, I think I think that they can withhold the fire for a certain period of time. I mean, Roman's gloves burned through, didn't they? And he got the burns on his hand. Presumably they're not fire retardant forever. But yes, essentially, I, I would just like to know who is going to be the Formula One official underpant inspector. Who gets that job? Is it is that a whole role? Does it fit into another role? Who gets the job? Is this Michael Massey's new job? <laughs> Don't know it could what be. Michael Massey from what I've heard, Michael Massey's actually getting a big old financial settlement soon. So I don't think he'll be wanting to inspect the driver's lunchtime uh, antics with their underwear. Because I'd hate to, sm- I'd hate to have to look at what the drivers do after they spend a few hours in the toilets, especially the skid marks. I'm not just talking about the ones in the pit lane. Um, <laughs> Goodness, presumably, presumably they would be checking them before the race. You'd hope so anyway. You really would hope so. And we're going to move away from skid marks now into the classic teams of F1 lore. We're going to raise the bar. We're going to raise the tone now. And we're going to hear our very own Joe talk about his favourite backmarkers, Minardi. Emerging from Formula 2 to make a one-car debut at Jakara Pagua 1985, the Minardi F1 team went on to run for 21 full seasons, developing a reputation as one of the sport's most beloved backmarkers, as well as a timely link between Australia and Imola. Based in the Emilia-Romagnan town of Faenza, only a stone's throw from Imola itself, Giancarlo Minardi's team were never well-funded. Their junior roots ensured a lack of corporate culture, but unlike many of their Italian peers, Minardi seemed none too keen on hiring pay drivers. In fact, many Grand Prix winners made their prodigious debuts with Minardi, Giancarlo Fisichella, Jarno Trulli, and Juan Fernando Alonso, whose 2001 rookie season was so impressive that Renault couldn't resist signing him as a test driver. So uh, Fisichella scrapping with Alonso 15th to 16th, but it's still a very significant situation. When did you last see Minardi chasing a Benetton for all it's worth? On the other hand, it's a shame that Minardi never gave these drivers the cars to truly compete. Without pay drivers and their lucrative title sponsorships, both Giancarlo and future Australian owner Paul Stoddart ran the team on shoestrings, limiting research and development. It's doubly unfortunate, because for much of the 90s and early 2000s, Minardi's engineering was genuinely decent, and it became the accepted truth that the impressively efficient aero and chassis work were being let down by some truly awful engines. Pierluigi Martini, their most prolific driver and scorer of 16 of the team's 38 total points, achieved most of his success with customer Ford V8s that the top teams wouldn't touch with a refueling pipe. Johnny Morbidelli endured a 1992 season with Lamborghini blocks that performed more like Lambo tractors than supercars. As we look now, Christian Fittipaldi in fourth position. He's driving the new Minardi with the Ford V8 engine. Last year they used the Lamborghini engine. I am delighted for Minardi. And for 2002, Minardi were the only team running AsiaTech engines, a programme designed to iterate upon Peugeot's already unsuccessful, no longer works engine. However, when the 02 season started in Melbourne, the Italian team had an Aussie ace in the hole, and not just owner Paul Stoddart. Future Red Bull star Mark Webber made his debut in front of a home crowd, and after evading the Turn 1 chaos and overtaking ailing frontrunners, he and his Minardi were in the top six. Even an awful pit stop and losing top gear couldn't stop Webber, whose late race goal was defending his incredible fifth position from Toyota's Mika Salo, a goal he achieved when Salo spun, attempting to overtake. 
Here he comes through the last two corners now, turns 15 and 16, and what a cheer, what a reception Weber is receiving here. The efforts of Paul Stoddart with the tiny Minardi team on his debut by the 25-year-old Australian. Michael Schumacher might be the winner of today's race, but there is nobody happier than Mark Weber in fifth. It was Minardi's first top five finish for eight years, their only points in all of 2002, and their last until their 2005 swan song. Minardi's 340th Grand Prix, they've never won one. Uh, Albers has only qualified last on five occasions out of 18 this year. Normally you would expect Minardi's to be right at the back of the grid, but only five times Albers has been there. Yeah, there have been times over the history of the team where they've, they've been in the hunt from time to time where they just had a good engine and chassis package, but generally speaking, yeah, they've tended to uh, populate the, the rear end of the grid, haven't they? There's Paul Stoddard. This is his final weekend as a team principal. He sold the team to Red Bull, of course, the drinks manufacturer who already has one team on the grid. I understand that the team will be called Scuderia Toro Rosso next year, which is Italian for Red Bull. Minardi may no longer exist in name, but Alpha Tauri are still based in the little town of Faenza, and with that, the spirit of Minardi continues. If you were confused by Alpha Tauri having so many fans independent of their Red Bull overlords, these classic Italian backmarkers are the reason why. I love that. The origins of Toro Rosso, or as we know them now, Alpha Tauri. I really enjoyed that. Joke. And now you know why I love Alpha Tauri to the extent that I do. And also, it, it should come as no surprise to producer Royfield that when he said, you know, do a feature on classic teams, Minardi came into my head sub five seconds maybe sub three seconds like this any excuse to talk about my lads from Fianza I grabbed it by the horns but you know what though my favorite classic backmarker team is actually a seller if you want to talk about overweight slow cars it's a seller all the way in the 80s to the 90s but Minardi they have a place in everyone's heart I think we've got your assignment for the next podcast there, Joe. I am I am trying to decide between a couple, so we'll bear that in mind, definitely. It seems, just quickly before we go on to Plonkeroo, it seems fitting that this weekend is based, is Alpha Tari's home race and that the track uh, president is Giancarlo Minardi, who used to run Minardi, so all swings and roundabouts, isn't it? But yeah, there'll be a contingent of Alpha Tari ultras marching on Imola uh, next weekend, ready to cheer on Mr. Gasly and Mr. Sonoda for a top 10 result. We love to see it. We really, really do. But as you did just mention, Ed, it is that time. It's time for Plonker of the Week. I want to know who your Plonkers of the Week are. Ed, why don't you kick us off? Well, there was a lot of nominees. Early time zones, Rockstar Energy Jake, myself for missing practice. But I would say I'm going to give it to Lance Stroll. A really dismal weekend for Lance. You know, for me, this... The qualifying incident was inexcusable. FP3 was a bit of a train wreck. The race was more him doing tactics like you do on F1 2020. All in all, a bit of a mess, if I'm being honest with you, but he can rebound. But he'll need to do pretty well next time before he gets moved off. So, love stroll, plonk of the week for me. It's really difficult to look past Lance Stroll. I want to say, as a very honourable mention, and they were involved in the same incident, Nicholas Latifi as well, for just having no pace all weekend. I saw some publications trying to claim that Latifi had won the qualifying battle against Albon on lap time, despite Albon being significantly quicker over the course of one lap in qualifying. 
However, at least he didn't commit a boneheaded zero awareness move in qualifying. It's got to be Lance Stroll. I mean, the people were really impressed that no one was getting past him in the race. Like, wow, no one, no one can get past Lance Stroll. No one wanted to get past an off-the-pace Lance Stroll because they'd already seen what happens <laughs> when you try to do that less than 24 hours ago. I want to slag off Latifi, but no, it's, it's got to be Lance Stroll this weekend. E- even on a bad weekend for Vettel, he was the weaker of the two Aston Martins. I mean, yeah, he was looking like a bit of a, a danger monger this week, and I'll be honest. And to be fair, it would seem a bit harsh if we were to give it to Nicholas Latifi two races in a row, because he did win last time. And that does seem a bit harsh, perhaps deserved, but harsh. So I'm, I agree with both of you on Lance Stroll. I am going to go for something a little bit different, though. It's not a driver bigger than a driver. It's a team. And it's not even Aston Martin, if that's what you were thinking. It's Red Bull. My plonker of the week is Red Bull. Because once again, Max Verstappen has not finished a race due to a reliability issue. And he's got he's sat behind Mercedes in the drivers and constructors because they can't give him a reliable enough car to finish what so far is the majority of the races that they've had. And I feel like he could very well, he's still on good enough form that he could very much be fighting for another championship this year and really sending it to Charles Leclerc. But if it keeps dying, then it's going to be no chance. Lewis Hamilton's going to have more chance than he does, which is absolutely mad when you look at the pace of the cars. So... For me, Red Bull need to get their proverbial shit together and sort things out and give Max Verstappen a car that can actually finish a race more than once out of three, because those odds are pretty bad. But I will admit, I have been outvoted by you guys, so Plonker of the Week is going to go to Lance Stroll. Um, That's fine. We live in a democratic society. You guys have outvoted me. That is absolutely fine. Once I'm not getting outvoted, so that's good. Every dog has its day, Ed. Every dog has its day. Mm-hmm. Every dog has its meat dinner. Uh, isn't it, just quickly, isn't it fitting, isn't it weird, right, the two title contenders from 2021 are fighting for fifth. How the tables have turned. But at least it makes F1 Twitter less volatile. Plus, oh, wait, that will never happen, of course. So. And there you are not wrong at all. But gents that is all we have time for today i think we're all talked out so dear listeners please if you fancy it do write us a review on apple itunes we also now have a channel on youtube so if you were to search for subscribe to the race directors podcast you can watch some of our content on there i highly recommend it but then i might be a little bit biased tell your friends and if you want to get involved in the show please do follow us on twitter at race underscore directors or like us on facebook at the race directors podcast we'll be posting updates thoughts memes throughout the season and beyond and please do subscribe to us on whichever platform you choose to listen to podcasts on we hugely appreciate your support to everyone that listened to our last podcast and everyone who's listened to this one we cannot thank you enough unpaid intern will be returning next next time when we go to Imola Joe will also hopefully be returning as our resident Italian stallion so we look forward to seeing him here next week and we will be a foursome which should be fabulous so thanks so much for coming gents thank you listeners and we'll see you after Imola what was that pronunciation arrivederci buonasera edit that out (laughs) 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm.